I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. We're glad to have some new faces in the crowd. Um, okay, if y'all haven't started copying this down, you're going to want to. I'll talk through it, but there's a lot that's on my heart for tonight. So this is going to help us kind of move through it quick, but still very deep. And there's a whole other backside too. <laughs> but we'll start with that. Um, so let me pray for us. We might have a few more people kind of trickle in. Um, well, let me just ask the Lord to be him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the freedom in our nation to gather without fear and to gather in your name without hiding. Um, we just praise you, God, for the things like that that we for take for granted. Uh, we trust you that you have gone before tonight, that you're present, that you're here. That's why I'm here. That's why I hope they're here. It's because you are. And um, I just praise you for your word, God. I thank you that you really do move through your word. You really can minister individually to every single person here, right where they are. You can do that. And you have been ministering to me just all weekend about this thought and your heartbeat when it comes to resting in you and you're expounding it for me in ways that I, I just never thought possible. So I'm just asking you to do that tonight. For the women here, Lord, some of them may be familiar with some of these verses, and God, I pray that that would not be a barrier because they feel like they already know it, but that you would breathe fresh truth into what they may think they know. There's other women here that may not have a clue, and I pray that you would meet them maybe for the first time in some of these truths in your word. And so I just depend upon you, I rely upon you, and I praise you. Um, that you are more than just a Savior and a Lord. You are life and the truth and the way. And so I just thank you that you're going to speak in power now. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Um, so obviously, being pregnant, I'm very aware of how busy my body is right now, which is kind of crazy, and what it's doing every day it's blowing my mind and yes I have energy but it's like your body has to recover it's just kind of insane so I just googled average statistics of what the body does in a 24-hour period not for pregnant people but for average weight and average height neither one of which I am right now but I think I'm shrinking, my feet are growing, and my weight has changed. But if you are average weight and average height, listen to what your body does. This is for everybody, male or female, on a daily basis. You ready? Your heart is going to beat 103,689 times. Your blood will travel 168 million miles as your heart pumps about four ounces every beat. Breathe roughly 23,000 times, inhaling 438 cubic feet of air. Your stomach is gonna digest three and a half pounds of food. For some, might be more. <laughs> we, we got double that, probably. And 2.9 quarts of liquid. 750 muscles are going to move 
in 24-hour period. 7 million brain cells you're going to exercise. Again, for some, might be more or less. And then if you're a, a woman, so this is where the women and men are kind of different categories here, but as women, they say roughly we're going to speak about 7,000 words. I probably am more on the 10 grand. Uh, men cut that in half, right? Um, Y'all, seriously, yeah. I mean, it, honestly, it was beneath half uh, for the men. But what's crazy is I read that and I'm thinking, no wonder we're tired. Like, that's legit. Like, that is what your body on just an average does, and that's only the things that they've actually studied. The body is miraculous. So there are things, I mean, being pregnant, that blows all that out of the water. So in thinking about that, you can become not just busy in your body, and obviously in seasons of life, we've all tasted that. Many of you are probably living in a busy season. When are we not? Let's just be honest. But where it gets dangerous is when busyness creeps over into the spirit, into the soul. And then it takes it up a notch when busyness becomes unrest. So sometimes, and a lot of people will look at my life and say, man, Sarah lives really busy, which is true. But sometimes you can be very full and, and busy in your life and still be at rest. The majority of people are busy and full and unrested. And so tonight, I really believe the Lord wants us to digest what it is to really rest in him. Like down to the core of what it is. Using Matthew eleven twenty eight, just using mainly one verse. And as y'all know me, we're going to be all over the scripture to prove what Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says. Um, but without rest, we are a bunch of things. And with rest, we can have a bunch of things. And there's specific things in this verse that he promises you can expect the scripture. He promises you can experience if you will just rest in him. And so in thinking about that, um, we're going to kind of dive in. So you've got to turn to Matthew 11. And as you do, I want you to have two images in your mind, I'll say. Who knows Atlas? Y'all remember who Atlas is? We learned about this guy in school. Yeah, this dude. This is Atlas. There was naked pictures. I picked one that was not. Um, this is a stark contrast to the other image that I want you to have in your mind, because some of you are this. And there's been seasons in my life where I have felt like this. What's dangerous is that some of you think God wants you to be like this. That's bad news. That means you're confused on the character and the expectations of God. Because you see, he took on the whole world so that we don't have to. But as believers we can start to convince our, ourselves, no, 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 I have a role to play and God expects me to bear these responsibilities well, do my roles well, lead this group well, and before you know it, y'all, you've got the world on your shoulders. Do you, do you think he looks rested? No. I mean, if you look closely, he doesn't even look 
halfway alive. I mean, he is like done. And in my vision, before I even found that, I just Atlas came to my mind before I Googled it. And what I kind of saw in my head is he was going uphill trying to do that. And this, and there's actually pictures of more of an uphill version. But there is times in life where not only do do we feel like we've adopted everybody's issues, everybody's problems, all of our roles, what we think God expects of us, but we also are just climbing uphill. And life just is hard. When you get into that place, you can either forfeit rest or you can begin to adopt it, believe it, expect it, pray for it, and watch the world transition off of you and put onto him. So now I want to replace that image. And when we, when we define this, there's going to be, a, in particular, a, an idea of reclining that comes with the word rest. Does anybody have somebody in the New Testament, preferably in the Gospels, that comes to your mind when I say recline? Okay, why? Right. So in John chapter 13, I believe, Last Supper... They would have all been in a, in a U-shaped, all would have been on the ground. They didn't have chairs. They would have been on just pillows culturally. I've had the privilege of being a part of some suppers like that. But what's interesting is that John took a position with Jesus that night that was available for everybody. Anybody could have done what he did. Nobody else did. And he just scooted himself in there and said, man, not only am I going to sit by him, I am literally going to lean into him to the point where he's between his shoulders and like literally reclining, like relaxing into the son of God. And that struck me and I thought, man, he's laid a table for you tonight and you can either look like this. This is a poor image because they didn't have any good ones. Or you can look something like this. And you have the, the, the option, I want to use the word choice, but you have the option to either receive his invitation to recline back, rest, lean into, enjoy, or you can forfeit it. And it's just, it's a powerful image to me. And, and I, I want to be found living in that posture, not hopping in and out of it. Yes, awesome. I love that song. Um, no, but, but we can have rest as a posture, y'all, not just as something that's a theological, theological idea, you know, that we know about. It can actually transform how you live. Because here's what's not going to happen tomorrow. You're not going to quit your job. You're not going to all of a sudden have a family to care for. You're not going to just not wake up and, or wake up and think, I'm just going to do jack. I'm just going to do nothing. And I'm just going to rest in the Lord. That is not rest. That's not what I'm talking about. And we'll see later tonight that rest, true rest, can be the most productive you've ever been. It actually can produce incredible activity. Resting in the Lord this way. Or you can get yourself in a knot and know about rest up here. Knowledgeable, you know, yeah, I know Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden, blah, blah, blah. I know it. 
but do you adopt it? And y'all, you will know, rest cannot be manufactured. It cannot be faked. So you will know, and he will know. If you are ultimately resting DNA, like your soul, which is how he uses that phrase in Matthew eleven twenty eight, or you'll know I am trembling on the surface. I'm barely holding it together because I'm, I've got everything on me, including what I think God wants me to have on me. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your care. That word literally means roll off onto. What do you do with a ball? The world's a ball. And that Greek word for cast in 1 Peter 5, 7 is literally roll off onto. All your care. Roll all your care. Don't wear it. Roll it off onto him is kind of part of resting. So, Matthew eleven twenty eight. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it in the NAS. And then we're just going to start to kind of dissect it. As I read it, I want you to look for these three things. An invitation, an action, and a guarantee. I don't even know if I spelled that right. Did I spell that right? Okay, awesome. That word is the bane of my existence sometimes. Um, So look for an invitation, an action, and a guarantee. And in particular, his invitation, his guarantee. So look at the roles. Two to one. Meaning, Matthew eleven twenty eight does not emphasize just how weak and weary we are. A lot of people use this verse as, man, yeah, the Bible knows me because this is about me, and I am weak, and I am tired, and I am weary. No, no, no. This verse is heavily weighted, two to one, on emphasizing Jesus. This verse is about rest, not unrest. And some people can read it and think of it as about unrest. It isn't. It's about rest. So look for that as we read this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So when y'all hear this, what do you think our role, so let's, we know the invitation is rest, and interestingly enough, the guarantee is the same, rest, action is. Three verbs, what'd you hear? What's our action to what we must do to rest from this verse? Okay, so comes the first one, right? Duh, that's how the verse starts, right? Come to him. We're going to break that apart. What do you think's the second one? What's the next verb? Take. Take, yep. Take or yoke. I'd rather you use the word yoke as a verb. That's what King James does. So come to him, yoke with him. What's the third one? Learn. Learn of him. So there's three technical parts to what we must do to rest. Now, I start a number four. 
And it isn't in this passage, but we have to get there if we're going to talk about rest. And number four is found in Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. And it's believe in him. And we're going to spend the last part of our evening talking about that because that's kind of the secret to resting. But you've got to have these three first before you could ever begin to think you're going to have number four. So you've got to come to him, yoke with him, learn of him, believe in him to make up what you do to rest. So let's take a part come. When you all think about that phrase, what does it not say? When you hear come to me, what do you not hear? Okay. Hesitate. Exactly. Y'all know the, the definition for come, just flat out simple Webster's, is to leave one thing in advance towards another. Straight up what it means. What's interesting about what Kylie just said is that advance is in the definition for come. What do y'all hear when you hear advance? Do you hear slow or fast? Fast. When, I, when I'm going to advance towards something, I'm not just dilly-dallying, that's what my grandmother would say, whatever that means, but y'all know what that is, you know? You're not just dragging your feet, you're coming, almost immediate. What else comes to your mind? What, okay, invitation. To who? Whom are you coming? Okay. So is it a method, a religion, a duty, or a person? It's a person. But don't we often come to a formula or to a, oh, well, man, I haven't been to establisher in a while, or I haven't been to a small group, so maybe I should go to the small group. Or maybe I should read my Bible more, or maybe I should... He did not list any of those things. Y'all, he was talking to Pharisees and Sadducees. He was talking to a group of people who were very religious, who would have known this concept, okay? He did not tell them, go to the synagogue. He did not tell them, in opposite order, learn from me first. Get your act together, know who I am, Take up your cross and follow me, and then you'll come and find rest. The order is very important. He's making a really sweet invitation that's actually very simple. He's just saying, if you'll just come as you can, when you can, as you are, to me. Not to what I can do, not to what you think I've asked of you with church or duty or whatever if you will just come to me just come that's all you have to do and what's interesting did y'all notice the word rest is used twice so believe it or not you don't even have to do the other two to find the first rest did y'all catch that you can come to him and then he categorizes who, and we'll get to there in a second. Just come. And what is he going to do? He's going to give you rest. That's interesting. Then, verse 29, 
he tacks on a little deeper role that you can do to find a different rest. So the first rest is a what? Read that phrase again, and I will give you rest. What is the first rest then? Based on him using the verb give. A gift. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. He is literally going to give it if you would just but what? Come. So when I was looking at this, in a way, the first rest is a positional rest. Salvation. Salvation right here. If you will come to him, not to Buddha and not to effort with Jesus' help, not to the church to save you, if you will come to the realization that he is who he says he is, that he is not just the savior of the world, he's your savior, your Lord, your life, then positionally before the Father, you are at rest. For you, death is gone. You are at rest with sin. He has saved that from you, and you are at rest with the Father. So salvation. But it doesn't stop there. So verse 29, he goes, hey, you can live here for the rest of your life and be saved, go to heaven, have a positional rest, salvation, or you can discover a second rest. Because what's the verb that he uses in verse 29 about that rest? Look at it. Find it. What is it? Okay, that's, that's, the rest is for, what's the verb? Yeah, find. Who's the subject of that sentence? You. You. You shall find, which means discover what you didn't know here if you do number two and three. That's interesting, okay. I can be positionally at rest with God. I'm no longer an enemy of the Lord. I'm no longer on the opposite side. He is my Savior. I do place my faith in Him. I am positionally at rest. But you're saying, Sarah, that I can be experientially at rest every day. Not just whenever you came to Christ at 21 or 7 or 12 a day but a second rest every day, a discovered rest every day, if you join here, if you yoke with him and learn of him, you're going to discover something about rest, as Katie said, for your soul. So does that speak to external rest or internal rest what is your soul okay it's your mind your will your emotions things you can't see things that are invisible meaning you could be like this to where yeah I've got a lot going on 
you know, planning a wedding. I mean, just pull your hair out, having a baby, like, whoa, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're in a season that may look like, gosh, I've got so much going on. But your soul could completely be at rest. Or flip it around. You could be, and there's very few people like this, but you could be one of them, where nothing is going on. And it is just a dead time. It's just zero zone. Just flat life, flat line, nothing's exciting, nothing's really tense, nothing's really busy, and your soul is freaking out. Your soul is not at rest. But from the world, man, it just looks like, man, she's just got nothing going on. Like her life is so restful and calm. But internally, she is a disaster. This is saying, in a way, rest isn't just being still. And rest isn't just being, you know, lack of busyness. Does that make sense? Rest is a internal experiential thing that only you and the Father really know. And then there's some external things that happen when you rest to where you will then know and your community will know she's at rest. But mainly it's experiential in the inside. If you yoke with him and learn of him. So what does a yoke look like? Has anybody ever seen a yoke? Okay, to try to describe it, what is it? What is it used for? Okay, oxen, yep. Yes, what is it made out of? Wood. This is again, not the greatest picture, but that's kind of roughly what it looks like. So the top is what it is, the bottom is it in, in motion. Here's what I did not know that I found out. Did y'all know that every yoke is individually made to those oxen? It is not a one-size-fits-all. And if you go even deeper, the sides are not even. The weight is not evenly distributed in a yoke. You know why? Because there's always a lead oxen. If the yoke was evenly weighted, the oxen would be confused on who's the lead. So one side, doesn't, doesn't know which, right or left, is the lead side. And when that oxen gets, I mean, locked in, they know by the sheer heaviness of it, I'm the lead. And the other one could be the same size oxen, same capability, and it's lighter. So here's the deal. When y'all think of this spiritually, what do you think it means to yoke with him? Put that in your own words. What does that mean? What would happen? Think about that scenario. What would happen if the other oxen began to do that? and got confused and began to try to take the lead. What happens? <laughs> exactly. Y'all, they're locked into this thing. I mean, can you imagine if these two oxen, if all of a sudden one gets confused and 
kind of starts going, okay, wait, this is my call. This is my role. Wait, I'm pulling this much. You're pulling that much. Nothing is going to happen. Nothing is going to happen. They're going to go stalemate. And eventually, potentially, the yoke could snap. What's crazy is that when we put this in just 21st century language, you either follow his way or you fight it. You either yoke with him or you don't. And it does not go well for the second oxen to fight the lead. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It never will. It never has. And in his sweet Jesus way, he's just saying, would you just follow me? Would you just yoke with me? Because it is going to go easy for you. What does it say? If you do that, it's going to be easy and light for you. Y'all, that was literal. These people would have seen a yoke. They would have totally known what he's talking about. And sometimes I, I just love the scripture because we can, we can make it really bumper stickery. Meaning it's all pictorial and, oh, take up your cross, take up your yoke. Y'all, that's legit. Like he was just using a real daily life example. And they would have gone, oh, yeah, yeah, I have yoke. Oh, I have two oxen. I get that. Here's what's even more crazy. Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, do y'all know what his job was? He was a carpenter, which is why Jesus was apprenticed in carpentry. Do you know what they specialized in based on archaeologists and theologians in their carpentry shop? Making yokes. Y'all, Jesus is so real. He is so practical. He is so like, yes, this is spiritual. Yes, this is unearthly. But, but in a way, it's not. It's very real. And he's going, just take my yoke. Don't create your own. Don't fight against me. I don't burden for you. I don't want weight for you. I did this. So you don't have to. Go with the flow. Write down these verses. Y'all know some of these to prove this point. Isaiah um, 55, 8 through 9. His ways are higher. They're different. They're other. They're better. Neither are my ways your ways. And yet, what do we do, ladies? We try to either make his way our own or we try to sit there and say you don't deserve to be the lead I do based on you know what 10 years ago you didn't do what you said you would you hurt my feelings you let my dad die you didn't respond to that prayer so you know what you don't deserve to be the lead I do and you come alongside of me and I'll just live my life with your help dangerous missing out on rest He's saying, but I have proven to you, I am worthy to be followed. I'm a good leader. Y'all, he is the best leader. I mean, I love, you know, different leadership books and authors, and they're all great. But y'all know who you really should study to lead? It's him. 
He knows how to lead. And so I had this question, you know, in my mind, are you easy to lead? Or are you tough? He can handle both. But it will go well for you if you will just give in to his way. Don't criticize it. Don't fight it. Don't question it. Again, he's big enough to handle those, and you may have seasons where you might do that. Don't let it be prolonged. Wrestle through it. Go back to the Word. Read some of these verses. Read about how his ways are higher. There's other ones. Read Isaiah 30, 21. You will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, Sarah. Read those. And then let him convince you. Indeed, your way is best. And I surrender. And I yoke with you. Because here's what I really want, Lord. I really want that. I really just want the rest of you. Like, in both meanings. The entirety of you. And the calm. The rest of you. That's what we want, isn't it? Have you ever gotten your way and been like, dang it my way like this sucks this is terrible get your way I've said this often that you know in my walk with the Lord and kind of growing up radically loving him in a way from the age seven on I I really innocently did want his will like I, I did I knew enough to know that I just wanted it my way but I knew enough I want his will duh I mean that's what the Bible says yes just do it my way and when you don't do it my way, we're going to have an issue. And I'm going to have disappointment and disillusionment and fear. And I'm going to reserve and pull back from you. But you got to do it my way. And then I'll believe you. He goes, uh-uh. No, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so what does he do? He brings in pain. He brings in mud. He brings in ground to say either you are going to yoke with me and learn that my way is better or we are going to sit here and battle this out in the muck and the mire for years and I'll take all the time I need because I want my rest for you I really do I die that you would have it so powerful write down Isaiah 48 17 I am the Lord who leads you in the way you should go. Well, that's a promise. I am the Lord who leads you in the way you should go. That may not mean it's the way you want to go. But that's okay. Because it's the best for you. All things, right? Romans, work together for good to those who love him. Not to everybody. To those who love him and it pronounces his glory it's not just for our good it's for his glory and then Jeremiah 10 23 write that one down Jeremiah says I know O Lord a man's way is not in himself nor is it in a man to direct his steps can y'all agree with Jeremiah and say I know that because some of you may actually think the opposite that you know my way is in me now I pray and and God kind of helps me figure it out 
but it's up to me to figure out my future and figure out how to parent and, you know, do this thing. And I'll just direct my steps and make my turns and hopefully end up where he wants me. Jeremiah goes, oh, no, no, no. I know. He is familiar with some pain. He was called the lamenting prophet. He cried all the time as a man. It's awesome. And he said, no, I know my way isn't in me because I've tried it. He's the one who wrote about in Jeremiah chapter 2, broken cisterns, things he had placed where he thought living water was going to come from, and they shattered. And he said, man, my way didn't work. I know that it's not up to me to direct my steps. Praise God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, what? Acknowledge him, which is really saying, don't go your own way and acknowledge him in it. Acknowledge his way in yours. And what's the last part of that verse? What does it say he'll do? He will direct your steps. Not you. Y'all, that is so freeing to me. I am like, oh, Lord, it is good for me to yoke with you. That's not a bad thing. That is freedom for me. This is not bondage. Not when he's the lead. When I am, we got some issues. But this is freedom and rest. Jeremiah 10, 23. And then another one that I just put down on yoke is Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. This theme all throughout scripture. There's many more. 1 John 5.3 says his commandments are not burdensome. And when I meet with girls or women all different ages and they look at this book and they get into it and they start going, man, there's a lot of rules in here. There's a lot of weights in here. A lot of things it sounds like I got to do and kind of limits my freedom. And, you know, his way is kind of archaic and not culturally correct and politically correct then what I hear is, oh, okay, you're not at rest yet. You may have come to him. You might be a Christian, but you're fighting him. You're not yoking, because if you did, you would not see this as heavy. You would not see this as burdensome, because his word said it isn't. You would see this as freedom. John 17, right? or 16, you will know the truth. No, 17, 3. You will happen. You will be set free. This is the truth. So when he tells you how to keep pure, why to get married, why not to say certain things with your mouth, why not to let your eyes see certain things, how to spend your money, why give? Y'all, this is not requirement to find rest. It's the fruit of rest. It's the fulfillment of going, oh, this is freedom. And man, it is more blessed to give than receive. I can't tell you how many times, you know, in the areas of, what do you want to call them? Spiritual disciplines, okay? Tithing, purity, 
you whatever, however many they are. I can't tell you how many times Josh and I personally have had some sacrifice and some pain in those areas. And yet, my husband goes, Sarah, you know what? We just got this extra job and this sum of money. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to know. I'm going to do the nursery and I'm going to do the new floor in the room. And he goes, yeah, we're going to give first. It's bonus money. It's not salary. That's kind of what I was saying. And I'm like, it doesn't really count. Like, we already gave from the salary part. You know, we're already like over 10%. Because it doesn't matter. He goes, we give. Not because we have to, but because we can. And I cannot tell you, you can't outgive God. I, I mean, I just, I could sit here and bore you with stories of times that we have done that, and my hands are like, and Josh is just like this, and God will just come in and go, hey, here's a free trip. Here's, here's this crazy invitation to the cloister, for example, that we get to go to in two weeks that we were like, wait, what? Like, we were wanting a baby moon, and we didn't have money for it. And I'm like, yeah, it's because we gave out of the bonus money. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, he calls me, and he's like, hey, guess what? We got invited to have a trip that's probably worth $3,000. It's going to be for free, Sarah. And I just break. And I'm like, Lord, forgive me in that area for not yoking with you in my spirit. I, I went along with my husband, you know, so I did that, but I drug my feet, and the Lord goes, you cannot outgive me. You cannot ever prove to me, Sarah, that my way is not best, and I have good for you, and I will come and bless you. He is just so, so kind. It's just amazing. Listen to this quote. I love this. Charles Spurgeon, oh, but what rest it gives to the soul when it feels that God and that providence is not for us to arrange, but it is all settled and determined by infinite divine wisdom. I thank God that I'm not the pilot of my own destiny, called to peer anxiously into the storm and the murky darkness, and to thread with awful fear the narrow channel between life's rocks and quicksand. No. I have taken on board a pilot who is infallible and forbids any error come my way. Let my soul go sweetly to her rest in full assurance that all is ordered rightly when God orders all. Is that not so true? Yoking with him. What's the last verb? What of him? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Learn. Now here's where this gets kind of fun. We're going to learn certain things about Jesus. And one commentary, I love him, John Corson, he said this. This comma, after it says learn from me, in this little phrase, for I am gentle and humble in heart, this might be one of the only times where Jesus gives a biographical statement. Now, the scripture calls him, and he even said, I am the light of the world, right? There's different things he said about himself, but this is insight to his personality. This is insight to Jesus' actual character, that he is saying, if you're going to learn of me, 
you're going to find something out about me that's really going to blow you away. Now, I got to thinking, have y'all ever gotten to know someone and you were, let's say, not pleasantly surprised with how deeper you dug into who they were? And all of a sudden you go, okay, from about 10 feet away, you were awesome. And now that I kind of dove into you, I don't like what I see. And I don't want to follow what I see or date what I see or, God forbid, marry what I see. Okay, the opposite is true here. The more you dive into Jesus, the better you're going to see him. He will never unpleasantly surprise you. Even when his hands allow things you wouldn't choose. Only because you know. Because see, his character, and again, I'd rather you use the word meek here, depending on what translation you have, meek and gentle, and lowly or humble, the more you learn of him, the more you're going to see those qualities. What do you all think of when you hear the word meek? It's kind of a hard one. What comes to your mind? Timid? Okay. What else? Okay. What else? Meek. Okay. So when y'all hear the word meek, do you hear weakness or strength? Okay. Okay. That's an honest answer. That's a human answer. Because me too. When I heard weak or meek, I thought of weak. I thought of like a pansy, to be honest. That is not the case. Y'all, this is Jesus. Okay, was Jesus anything close to weak? No. So now think of meek in light of Jesus. What do you think of? Strength, but what kind of strength? Okay, not domineering, under control. The actual definition for meek is bridled strength. Bridled strength. Like, I think it's a fable, and it gives this example of a mouse and a lion. And the mouse is irritating the lion to no end. They're like enemies, but he's just nipping at his feet, and he's crawling on him, and he's just being a little lame varmin. Who is stronger? Hello, the lion. But what's crazy is the lion doesn't just exert strength. He exerts meekness, meaning in any second he could turn around and kill that thing. But he doesn't because he's meek. He's majestic as land. Bridled strength. And he lets this little mouse crawl all over him. And he, th he lets the mouse think, oh, you know, I'm kind of a, a big guy. Like I'm kind of crawling on him and he's not doing anything. That's kind of the character of our God. Meaning, does he let you get close? Does he let you crawl all over him? Does he invite you to do that? Yes. But who is he? He is not to be trifled with. 
He is other, he is reverent, he is big, he is the God who breathed the world. He's the God who's literally creating a human being inside of my stomach. That's who he is. And yet he says, come to me, like, like, a, like a child, come, come crawl on me. And in a second, he could turn around and zap you and have every good reason but he doesn't because the blood of his son. And he says, my character is strong, but it's bridled. It's throttled, meaning he does not lord over you in the way he could. He is not domineering. He does not abuse power. Some of y'all have seen power abused by men, by people. So that gets overlaid on the character of God. And that's not true. It's not true because you have to go right to the horse's mouth. And Jesus is saying, you want to know what I'm like? If you'll learn of me, you're going to see me as gentle and humble. He could have said something very different there, y'all. He could have said, learn of me, and you're going to know my strength. Learn of me, and you're going to be scared. And he would have had every right to say that. And these men would have been like, okay, whoa, you are Yeshua HaMashiach, you are the Messiah, we are done. He didn't do that. He said, no, I'm inviting you to learn of me. And what you're going to see is going to blow you away. And it should humble you. It should humble me. Y'all, there is the song, and I just, you just have to listen to it. It's by Ghost Ship called Where Were You? This like would be homework for you on your way home tonight. Ghost Ship, just Google it, just do it on YouTube on your way home. Ghost Ship, Where Were You? And just put all the windows down, otherwise your windows might break because you have to have it up so loud. I, I wept to this song yesterday as I was driving home from this women's retreat. It just came on my Pandora station. And I was like, oh my goodness, Lord. Who am I to question who you are? And it's this whole story of Job having a conversation with God and God reminding Job, you want to know who I am? Then let me ask you some questions. Where were you when I split the darkness in half? Where were you when I measured the oceans in my hand? Does lightning ask you where it can strike? Do the oceans ask you where they can stop? I mean, y'all, this song is amazing. And when I think of that, I think of, Lord, you are so high, but you're so low. Which is why I like the word lowly of heart. Because he, he is high and he is other and reverent, but he's saying, you're not going to be scared of me when you know me, when you learn of me. And so again, when I... I listen to women's stories or I pray with them and I sense them fearing who God is and I'm scared of who he is. Learn of him. Learn of him in here. Because he will woo you like a lover, like, like, a, like a boyfriend forever, but the best of kind. And you will see, ah, oh, his heart is kind. He is strong, but he bridles his strength with me.
because he knows how frail I am. It's beautiful. Um, the other thing I want you all to see is when we learn of him, 2 Corinthians 3.18, but when we learn of him, what do you think is going to become of you? When you dive deeper into who Jesus is, what's going to happen to you? Exactly. So you know who's going to have more strength? You. But that strength will be like his. It won't be arrogant. It won't be rude or demanding. Meekness doesn't demand. It won't um, have unrealistic expectations. But there will be this strength to you and this security to you just like him. Because the more you learn of him, the more he's going to bear his image on you. Yeah, please. So, and then also, like, what I just kept thinking of is, you know, as you're in a place where you dive deeper with the Lord and you just learn to give rest, circumstantially, nothing, everything may not, may be the same and nothing has changed. Exactly. Yet, the more you learn of Him, the more you're able to see the little things in Him. Mm -hmm. When you're driving down the road and you're going to the terrible job, you're seeing the, um, the mm -hmm. tree and you're wow, that has leaves coming on it, it's blooming, and it's big, and it's firm, and it, you know, anything that, every little thing can make you start to mm -hmm. see the Lord, so circumstantially, when you rest in him, things don't change magically, and always become, you know, just perfect, mm -hmm. but in the circumstances, and in the midst of this, yes. you can, the more you learn, the more you learn to see him throughout the little things. And then your rest is taken into that unrestful circumstance. Yeah. And then you get, as individual as that yoke is, you know, it just made me think of, you know, kind of what we were talking mm -hmm. about, just how individually you speak to me. Mm -hmm. And now I see how you speak to me. That's right. And That's exactly right. This is not a generic blanket invitation. This is very individual to you. So y'all's yoke is going to be different than my yoke. Your, you know, what do you want to call it, apprenticeship of Jesus, your learning of him may be different in how you do it, but what you find out will be the same as what I find out. And your rest, your positional rest, your experiential rest, all of a sudden, that's what you take into the insanity. And the insanity doesn't take into you. Does that make sense? Um... <clears throat> So the other thing I, I kind of want to categorize here is we've got to go back up to 28. Who is the invitation to? Okay, what's the word used actually in the scripture? All. And y'all have heard me say this. What does all include? All of it, right. Every single person. This invitation is available to every single person. But he's going to categorize who is the all in two groups the first group and the second who does he define as the first group okay or the labored again whatever translation it is for you who's the second group burdened or laden so in this particular scenario I went back to the King James because it 
the word labored and the word laden actually capture a little bit more of what this means. Labored, y'all, comes from Exodus when the Israelites were working as slaves under who? Who was the master in Egypt? Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let us go. That song, yeah. They were under him. The word labor is the same word that was used when they were making bricks. So what he's saying here is all of you are invited to come and, and have a gift of rest. And everybody is going to fall in two categories. And sometimes you might fall into both. And the first category is you are circumstantially under labor. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a husband. Maybe it's a friend. I don't know what it is, but he is talking about something oppressing you from the outside. And you are working hard to even survive, which is exactly what happened in Exodus in Egypt. So it's external pressure. It's not self-imposed. It's coming on you from the outside. We all know what that feels like. The second one is a little closer to home. And this is a little bit where toes can get stepped on. Because heavy laden typically refers to sin. To the weight of hidden sin. So internal. So external people that are just barely surviving in life, you're invited to come to rest. Those of you who are internally losing a battle, maybe it's anxiety. Y'all know to, to worry is to sin. Um, maybe it's that you're not forgiving the forgiveness he gave, or you're not receiving the forgiveness he gave for you. Maybe it's you trying to work for what you already have. So it's this self-imposed weight. Maybe it's guilt. Just flat out the weight of guilt. And the verse it made me think of is Hebrews 12. Right? What does it say in Hebrews 12, 1? Therefore, this so great cloud of witnesses, right, has gone before us. What are you to do? To run your race, you're to what? Throw off our put aside, put away all the weights, the hindrances, the heaviness. That's the idea of laden, of internal weight. Shame, guilt, pressure, just God expects this of me, or I'm so unworthy, I can't receive his mercy, whatever. Y'all, that is just fooey. Again, as my grandmother would say, she's in my brain tonight. Um, he's saying you can be free from either one of those groups. But at some point, you either are one of them, or you were, or you're in both. And he wants you to come to him, and in an instant, he will give you rest from those two. Then he's going to ask you to yoke with him, trust his way, He's going to ask you and invite you to say, man, I'll teach you. If you'll but come to me and learn from me, do not learn of me based on what people say about me. Have y'all ever done that? You base what you think about someone because someone else said something? That's, that's so unwise. 
You want to learn from the person by just going to the person. And so he says, if you'll learn from me, then all of you will find rest every day. Because every day you can either be in labor or you can be laden with something. And he's saying you can find rest in both of those categories as you learn from me and become like me. Amazing promise. That's a guarantee, not a hope. Matthew 11:28 isn't you might find rest. It's you will. You will find rest for your soul. So, three questions. What is robbing you of your rest? What's keeping you from coming? Do you follow him or do you fight him? And this one was huge for me. Will you learn from him or just teach about him? And y'all, as someone who teaches Jesus kind of as a living, which I take very humbly, he kind of, I don't know, not spanked me, but he, he, he prodded me a little bit on this one. And he said, Sarah, just because you teach me, don't forget to learn about me. Don't forget to learn of me, just to learn of me, not to disseminate out. Y'all, in Atlanta, in our circles of influence, we know a lot about God, and we can teach a lot about God. Or we can learn of him first. And only out of that place, teach about him. Not based on head knowledge and information, but an intimate school. Just going to school in Christ, personally. And then if he gives you places, and he gives you opportunities to teach, which that's what he's done the majority of my life, I take them. I have never once solicited a door to speak or teach somewhere. It's been something very clear in my heart. The Lord said I never had permission to do because this could make me arrogant. This could steal my gentleness and my meekness. And he says, I won't let you do it. I want you to learn of me first and I'll take things away. I won't let things open because I don't want you to just teach about me. I want you to learn of me. So those questions, wrestle with them somewhere. Let him digest for you those answers. Um, so we got to flip over and get number four. We got to get the believe in him. So flip to Hebrews four. Um, this is so, so powerful. Because this is really, that's what to do to rest, to come, to yoke, to learn. But how to stay in rest. Once you get there, how do you stay there? Especially when Meg's saying, life is not restful. Hebrews 4. 
I just I love this passage. We're going to just capitalize on verse 11, really. But y'all know me, so I'm just going to read up to 11. Therefore, let us fear, lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, which exists right now, any one of you could come short of it. So that means that there's a promise available, but not everybody's going to receive it. So y'all can hear me talk till I'm blue in the face, or in this case, red in the face, because baby boy makes me really hot and I'm sweating. You could hear me doing that, and it profit you nothing. Because some people aren't going to enter what this is talking about. I hope it's not any of you. But some people are going to miss it. And he's about to tell you why. For indeed, verse 2, we have had good news preached to us. Amen. He has been preaching this to me longer than just this weekend, but in, in just in depth this weekend. He is preaching good news to us tonight, ladies, just as they had. Interesting. Who do y'all think he's referencing? Who is the they he's referencing? It's the same people that were in Egypt. Yep, the Israelites. They heard this too. But listen to what happened to them. But the word they heard, same as you, did not profit them. They didn't enter the rest. Because, why? Why? Because it wasn't united with faith. Y'all, faith is the demand of rest. You have to believe that rest is possible, that it's real, that this is not just a bunch of fluff. You've got to believe in him for everything he said he is, every part of who he says he is, to believe that, Lord, you are my rest. You're it. If not, you can hear church and small groups and establish her for the rest of your life, and it means nothing. It just goes in one ear out the other, and you have a stack of notes, stack of journals, and he goes, man, she's not going to enter. And she could. Because she is somewhere in her heart doubting it's possible for her to rest. Even if it's just 1%. For we, verse 3, who have believed. What happened to them? For we who have believed, we entered. We entered that rest. Just as he has said, so he's re-quoting now what he told the first generation of Israelites, I swore in my wrath they are not going to enter it because they disobeyed me. They didn't believe me. Comma, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. This is referencing God the Father resting in Genesis chapter 2 after he created the world. And then he's going to quote it, verse 4. For he has thus said somewhere, which is hilarious, that he doesn't know exactly where he said this, concerning the seventh day, this is the creation account, we know that it's Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 through 3, but this author did not know that. He said, God rested on the seventh day from his works. And again, in this passage, down deep into, he remembered and said, they are not going to enter my rest. 
because they're not going to believe it. Verse 6, here's another therefore. So based on what he just said, he's now about to say this. Since therefore it remains still for some to enter. Y'all, he's talking about the next generation who we fall into. Those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of what? What was the disobedience? Unbelief. Unbelief forfeits everything we just said. Unbelief forfeits rest. Listen, if, if you are unbelieving, can you come to him? I mean, honestly, can you really come to Jesus if you are shattering in your faith deep inside? No. Can you yoke with him if you are in unbelief? No. Why in the world would you yoke up with someone you didn't trust? So if you don't trust him, then man, screw that. Can you really innocently, genuinely learn of someone if you don't trust them? You can't. Unbelief kills rest. Kills it from the very beginning. And it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be that way. But he says, if you disobey and unbelief, you're going to miss it. Verse 7. He again fixes a certain day. This is awesome. This is today, like right now. Today, saying through David, of whose line we are from, of whose line Jesus is from, after so long a time, just as was said before, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You can enter rest. Verse 8, for if Joshua, and Joshua came after Moses, right? So Moses led the disbelieving old people. They were like the parents. And who then did Joshua lead? The kids, right? They were the, the, the kids underneath the parents. And the parents said, man, we saw the Red Sea. We saw Moses' rod turn into a snake when he hit a rock. We saw manna fall from heaven. We saw fire by night, cloud by day. We saw it all, and it wasn't enough. And we don't believe. And so God goes, okay, then you are not going to enter Canaan. Because you see, Canaan was a picture of what? For the Israelites. Rest. It was an actual picture. They, they would have rest on all sides from every enemy. Y'all know they were like the most hated nation ever. They were tiny, but they were hated. And God is going, I will give you rest. I will literally give you a land where you have rest on all sides. And you've seen my track record. And they said, not enough. Nope. We don't trust you. We don't trust Moses, who you put over us, and we don't trust you, ultimately. They had moments where they were like, oh man, God is so good, he's providing, he's good. And then he would do something that wasn't good, and they'd go, mm, I don't believe you. It was this inconsistent faith. And he said, then that's not really entering the rest, because it isn't really true faith. So all of them died. And the children, the little ones, they saw that example. Joshua came on the picture, 
and they said, we are going to trust him as hard as it'll be. And y'all, what was the first thing that happened when they got into that? Remember when Joshua and Caleb went out to spy on this awesome land of rest? What did they see? Giants. It wasn't like, oh, yay, it's the land of milk and honey, and we can just walk in with no battle. And Joshua came back, and he said, but you know what? Life is not going to be easy. A restful life is not a painless life. But God promised this land to us. So will you believe his word and follow me? Against all odds, against all enemies, against all feelings, against all circumstances that are just screaming something contradicting to what you know. Will you follow me? And the kids said, absolutely. And they entered rest. That's for us. And so that's why he's saying, if Joshua had given them the ultimate rest, so if it was just about Canaan, um, capital H, Jesus, he would not have spoken of another day. But he did. Therefore, there remains a Sabbath rest right now for the people of God. That's you. This is available right now. Verse 10, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works just as God did from his. Verse 11, here's the key. So, lots of therefores. Let us therefore be diligent to enter the rest. Lest any one of you fall by following the same example of disobedience. So, when y'all think of rest, do you think of being diligent to enter it? It's kind of weird, because what do y'all think of when you hear the word diligent? Work, right? Like, this is hard. Like, it kind of is oxymoronic. It's, it's weird. But that's the scripture. That's what he does, right? You got to die to live. You got to be weak to be strong. The last shall be first. I mean, he, he does this all the time. So here he says... Oh, you got to work. But what do you have to work for? Rest. It's not self-effort to please God and work your way into the posture of God loving you or saving you. It's you going, if the one thing I'm going to fight for, the one thing I am going to work on and work towards is rest abiding, depending on you for everything. So when your independence comes in and your logic comes in and you've got a circumstance and you start to go into your little mode and ask God to help you pull back and say, Lord, I want to come to you. I want to yoke with you. I want to learn of you right now so that I can flee on it. Rest available for me. And you are going to work in and through me right now in this circumstance so that I can be at rest. That's, that's the how to do that. Pretty powerful. Therefore, be diligent 
to enter rest. So I want to give you four practical things of what it could look like for you to be diligent to enter rest. And that's how we'll close tonight. Four quick things. They're all ours. And then you can kind of see this as synonymous with, well, how do we come to him? How do we really do this in the most practical way? Four things. Remember, repent, rely, and receive. Remember, repent, rely, and receive. And I've got like 16 verses that prove that. Tons of them. Five or six each, each word. Remember what he has done for you. Remember who he is. Y'all, we spend a lot of time remembering what we haven't done and who we're not. Versus remembering, okay, God, tell me again who you are. Tell me again what you've done. Let me go back and read your works. If I can't find any on my own, which would be really difficult because he's worked in his, y'all's life a lot, go back and read theirs. Go back and say, okay, I can't see the forest of the trees in my own life right now. I'm, I'm going to go back and I'm going to remember what you did for stubborn people here. Remember. Record it. I mean, write it down so that you don't forget. Right? That's the power of journaling so that you can remember. Repent. This is part of what it is to be diligent to rest and to come to him. Y'all, we have to repent of not of hesitating, of saying, Lord, to be honest with you, I just didn't think you were going to show up, so I didn't come. I just can't get out of here what I need, so I'm just not going to do it. There has to be this level of remembering who it is we're coming to and being very re repentant and remorseful of our attitude at times that we trifle with a lion. Be careful. Third, rely. And this really goes hand in hand with repent because I think some of the greatest things that we I have to repent of are relying on me. That is not scriptural. God does not help those who help themselves. It isn't a Bible verse. God helps those who know they're helpless. So I have to repent of self-reliance and even going so far as to think God's expected of me to, you know, work for him and live a certain way and do, I mean, just get all that out of your mind. Unlearn that so that you can learn the truth and repent and rely upon him. Right? The Philippians says we can do how much apart from him? Nothing. Nothing. We, we can't do anything, y'all. Meaning, like, I can't get out of bed. I cannot come here tonight. As good as I can communicate, as great as I can capture an audience, y'all, I cannot do anything apart from Jesus. And if you don't believe that, repent. Because that means part of you is leading the yoke. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to pull apart at some point. And lastly, receive. 
most likely you got to release something. And as you receive of him and allow him to author the faith in you to believe him for rest, you're going to have to release control, unbelief, maybe your assumptions about God, I don't know. But to receive, most likely, there will be a release of something. There will be a let go. And for some of you, it might be a, a prying open of your fingers to release in order that you might receive every promise he has for you. I think it's a verse in Corinthians that says, all the promises of God are yes in Christ for you. He, he wants us to walk in this and receive it. He's not dangling a carrot and pulling it back and playing hide and seek. He wants us to find this. You will find rest for your soul. But be diligent to do those four things. And if y'all want the verses, I can totally give them to you. Um, I want to read this. It's a paraphrase of Matthew 11. Um... Uh, to catch the spirit of Jesus is to be on the road to rest. To believe what he teaches me is one thing. To acknowledge him as my religious leader and my Lord is another. But to strive to be conformed to his character of rest. Not merely in its external requirements, but in the interiors of my spirit. This is the grammar of the life of rest. Learn from the meek and lowly one, and you will be surprised at how restful you become. Heavenly Father, you are the giver of rest. You are the encourager, Lord, of humility. You're the lightener of our load. You are so much to us, Lord. You are our rest available at this moment because of what you did at the cross. You finished it all so that we don't have to do anything but come yoke. Father, whatever might be robbing these women's rest, I don't know what it is, Lord, but would you take it back? Would you steal that thing that's trying to steal from her and give yourself freely and let her receive freely the promises you have for her? I love you. I love your word. I need it. It is food. It's life-giving. It holds everything that we need in this moment and every day after it, down to the practicals of what we should do. It holds that too. And so, Father, we just want to declare yes to your way and that we are willing to learn of you, not assume about you. 
to you above anyone else. And then we're going to believe you to give us what you said, to give us rest in our soul. Because of his blood, we pray and believe. Amen. Y'all, isn't that good news? It's good news. Rest is available. I love it. Um, a couple things. We are going to meet in April. We are not going to meet in May. Um, I tried to think that maybe I could teach May 1st, which is the date that we had online, and my husband was graciously reminding me, Sarah, you can barely go up the stairs now. And he's like, I really don't think it's wise unless you want to go into labor, potentially May 1st. So, um, so we're just going to take the summer off. We're just going to take May off and then June, July off. And we will come back in August um, with a little one. So, yeah, crazy. But we will meet in April. So April will be our last time. And trust me, you do not want to miss April. I will miss Establisher for the summer, and I know y'all will too, but April is, is going to be really special, so you don't want to miss that. You want to come, bring, invite. That'll be kind of a hurrah for us before we take a, a Sabbath, a rest. Yes, it is. I believe it's April 10th. Yep. Yes. April 10th. You bet. Um, but I'm excited. I so love that y'all are here, that you're learning of him here. And I hope it only continues when you're not here. So thank you, thank you. We'll see you in April. <laughs>